Hello, this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Startup podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea. You're ready to launch something, or you possibly launched something already, and you're flying full steam ahead. We're here to give you the tactical strategy that will give your business the best chance of success. And with that, a story that's about writing, but really about startups. I've always said I'm going to write a novel when I turn 40. It's a fun thing to tell people, and as I say it, I always kind of laugh a bit and think, man, future Brian's really going to have his hands full writing this book. And 40-year-old Brian has always seemed just far enough away that the internal joke lands. But as I move from my mid-30s to my upper mid-30s and future Brian gets uncomfortably close to present Brian, I've started to get a little bit worried. Not because I want to bail on the book, I want to write a book and I will. More that I'm a huge believer in environment. I know that to write a great book, I'll need to build the environment that makes it more likely than not that I write a great book. Ideally, I need an environment that makes it impossible to not write a great book. And I don't know what that looks like. Creating the conditions for things to happen is the most direct path for those things to actually happen. We've talked a lot about this on the pod and we've seen it work countless times with the startups we work with at Tacklebox. Sporadically email people for funding and you won't raise funding. Build a system with feedback loops and automation and goals and metrics and a time frame, and you will raise funding. The things we think matter, like product or traction or network, matter way less than thoughtfully and purposefully trying a lot of approaches with a lot of people. Most things have way less to do with the thing than with the system that amplifies the thing. So anyway, I need to build my system for writing a great book. So I called in a favor with a friend whose uncle is a prolific and accomplished writer. The guy's written like 75 books. I read through the reviews and it seems like he's had a bunch of hits and a bunch of total flops. My kind of guy. We emailed back and forth a few times and he said he'd call me this past Wednesday, quote, after he finished writing for the day. That had no time associated with it, but my phone rang around 1 p.m. I told him about my plan to write a book at age 40 and that I wanted to build a system to write it. He waited for a second then asked, well, what do you need to say? That question caught me off guard. I don't need to say anything, but I had a story idea, so I figured maybe I'd pitch it to him. Well, the book's about a guy who comes from Italy to America to make pizzas, and he cut me off. Yes, fine, but what do you want to talk about? Like, what's the theme? There are only four or five themes that matter. Which one are you writing about? It became pretty clear pretty quickly that this conversation was going to be an ass-kicking. I waited for a second and then went back to Old Faithful. I guess the theme is that a guy wants to prove to himself that he can make it in New York City as a pizza chef, so he leaves Italy to a frustrated exhale. Yeah, no, you said the pizza thing, but what's the book about? It's either about love or revenge or growing old or good versus evil or regret or maybe two or three other things that I'm forgetting. So which one is it? Silence. I considered pitching the pizza story again, but thought better of it. Okay. First thing you've got to do is figure out what the book's about. Why should people care? People only care about themselves, so they need to clearly see themselves in your book. If the guy is coming from Italy to the US, your book is probably about love or regret. Obviously, 99% of your readers won't have opened up a pizza shop, but 100% of them will have had regrets. So your main character could regret leaving his family, or he could regret all the things he gave up because of his love for making pizza and be tormented about whether he made the right choice. 
we're all tormented by regret. The regret could be about love. Maybe he meets someone and he needs to choose between them and his pizza shop. Books all culminate in a choice about the thing that the book is about, the thing people care about. I suggest starting with the theme and the choice, then filling in the gaps. He took a bite of something crunchy as I furiously took notes that looked comically silly in retrospect. In the middle of a piece of yellow legal paper in huge underlined letters, I wrote, write something people care about. Super deep note, Brian. I said that I'd have to work on that, then pivoted to talking about environments, asking how I could create the conditions that would make it impossible for me to not write a great book. He seemed amused by the whole premise. He never thought of it that way. Probably the best thing you can do is just sleep a lot. He waited a second, then continued. Yeah, definitely sleep a lot. Because once you have a theme and the big choice, the most important thing is just writing lots of words, which means you'll need lots of rest because writing is hard. He went on. Let's say a book is 80,000 words. Most authors might write 100,000 words to get to those final 80,000. The secret, which isn't much of a secret, is to just write way more than that. Most books are similar because the first 100,000 words most people think of on a topic are more or less the same. And they're good enough, so people stop. But the really interesting words are the next 100,000, the ones most people don't ever write. He was getting a little high level, but I was following. It reminded me of when my wife and I were traveling in Iceland. There were huge crowds at the waterfalls 20 feet off the highway exit. When we walked even 20 minutes down the trail to a bigger, more beautiful waterfall, we were completely alone. We've talked about that in another pod, I think, but I like this framing better. The first 100,000 words are crowded, the next 100,000 words aren't. So back to my original thought, he said. Sleep a lot, read a lot, write two to three times more than most people. Just write, write, write. Don't edit, don't worry about quality. Get all the bad stuff out so you can get to the good stuff. Be in a hurry to get 200,000 words out. So whatever system helps you write a lot, do that. And if you think this is gonna take longer, it actually won't. Because you don't do any of the other bullshit. All you do is write. You'll write 200,000 words before anyone else writes 50,000. Then he asked me a question. Well, do you wanna write a great book or do you wanna sell a lot of books? I responded, ideally I'd like to do both. But he said that couldn't happen, not at first. I had to choose one. You need to decide what your time is for. Will you spend your time writing all the extra words or will you spend your time doing extra selling and promotion? You won't have time to do both. To write a great book, write 200,000 words and choose the unique 80,000 that say what you want to say. To sell a lot of books, write like 82,000 words just to get your book done and good enough. Then sell in a way that sets you apart. Most authors do the same 10 or 20 things to spread their book, just like they write the same 100,000 words. They email big social accounts, they try to get on the same podcast, they book a signing at Barnes & Nobles if they're big enough. Again, the crowded stuff. Do the next thousand things that they don't. Do 20 things a day, every day for five months. Only do things other people haven't. If everyone else selling books is going through the same 20 paths, avoid those 20 paths like the plague. You won't win those because you're new differentiation lies in the path rarely taken. This is actually a place you might excel, he said. Writers don't know how to sell themselves. Use the stuff you use to help your startups grow to help you grow your book. Treat it like a startup that's trying to gain traction. I asked if the quality of the book could be so good that it sold itself. 
he laughed a little too hard at that and then said no. For most writers, the quality of the book has absolutely nothing to do with whether it sells or not. It's the boring stuff that matters, he said. Today, we'll talk about the stuff that'll actually make you successful. The boring stuff that matters. The crowded tasks. The lonely ones. Getting past the crowd and into the unique space that creates the results you want is a matter of effort, which means we can design a system for it. It doesn't require you to be a genius, which is good news for most of us because I don't want to have to be a genius to start a successful startup, and luckily, you don't. So let's get to it, after some smooth jazz. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, a monthly membership program that provides structure, strategy, and network for entrepreneurs testing and building startup ideas on the side. We help you flesh out and test your idea so you can understand its potential and start working purposefully towards that potential. We put everything we learned from seven years helping over 350 idea stage entrepreneurs build businesses that raised over 100 million bucks and are now worth nearly a billion into this program. It's a clear step-by-step path with target metrics that'll take you from idea to product. You'll get direct feedback from us as you build and a built-in network. It's the thing I would have killed for when I was working on my idea without direction or a team, which is exactly why we built it. The membership has grown fast the past few weeks. Come and join us. We're going to launch 250 businesses this year. One of those might as well be yours. Head to gettacklebox.com slash ideas to get the podcast listeners deal. And if you do, I'll see you on Wednesday at our one-on-one strategy session. Back to it. What I enjoyed most about my throttling by my new writer friend was how it clarified my thoughts on so many of the startups we've worked with, mostly about how they misunderstand what actually matters. My writing friend talked about constantly trying to, quote, make words cheap. He said he had lots of days where he'd write for six or seven hours and get absolutely nothing out of it, just write 4,500 terrible words. And he said that he had to be okay with that because that led you to the next 4,500. Early on in his career, he'd get stressed out and upset if he had a bad day of writing. It made him tight. He stressed too much over the words instead of letting them flow. He realized he couldn't be precious about the words, it had to be all about the process. I'd asked if that stretched out his timelines too far. If he didn't have pressure or deadlines, wasn't that bad? He almost recoiled at the thought. No, he said, he had one goal every day, write 3,000 words. He didn't stop until he hit 3,000, and often he would get to four or 5,000, but he didn't have to. He knew that 3,000 words per day got him to 200,000 words in 67 days, and he knew that 200,000 words got him a good book. Working 22 days a month, it took him three months to write a book. He wrote four a year and had written four a year every year for the past 25. Who else has done that, he asked me. What my writer friend was talking about was something our best entrepreneurs have done, either instinctively or purposefully. They've made the important stuff cheap. Writers optimize for words, and our best entrepreneurs optimize for interactions with their customers. They might have 20 conversations a week when most entrepreneurs have two or three. They try 10 ways of getting in touch with these customers instead of the one or two that other entrepreneurs try. They're relentless. They won't go to bed until they've spoken with five potential customers and reached out to 50 more every day, and they do it over a long period of time. If five or 10 or even all the conversations in any given week go nowhere, that's fine. The conversations are cheap. They'll have another 20 next week and they establish context for future decisions. The goal is just having the conversations. The rest will take care of itself. 
This might seem like it's wasting time or an indirect route, but it is not. These founders focus on the two things that matter, the nuances between customer segments and the ways to find those customers in the first place. Those are the two things that'll differentiate you as an entrepreneur. Spending time on that is good. It is never a waste to do the thing that will differentiate you. Speaking with more people gives you context to make better decisions, the big decisions, the theme decisions, the what's it about and who's it for decisions. These founders have walked 20 minutes down the path away from the waterfall. They've got a different perspective than anyone else looking to solve the same problem. If this seems like it isn't strategic enough, it is. The thing with startup strategy is it's almost impossible to start with. You get in the weeds with customers and the strategy is always a reaction to how your customers are, how they interact with the problem and how they solve it now, who they solve it with, how much they have to spend, how they see the value. So the fastest way to strategy is interactions that make that strategy obvious, not sitting around contemplating theoretical strategy from too few data points. The answer, as with everything in entrepreneurship, is in the mud. I'm specifically thinking of a handful of entrepreneurs who did this exceptionally well during Tacklebox and who are now running businesses worth over a half a billion dollars. The great thing about them is they're just like you. They're definitely smart and driven, but the brilliance of their product came from the interactions, not from their individual genius. We dramatically overrate talent in the entrepreneurship space or misunderstand what talent in the startup world looks like at all. Startups are successful when the founders try more things than other companies try. Simple as that. As my old basketball coach used to say, shots on basket, reps. The hardest part about this is keeping yourself accountable to those reps because writing lots of words and speaking with lots of customers is really hard and it's kind of boring. Building a system to help push you along is critical. So we'll talk through that now. If you're working on a startup, particularly if you're working on one on the side, the first thing you want to do is set up the environment that'll help you try the most stuff. If you've only got five or 10 hours a week to spend on this idea, this system is all the more important. You can't just wake up every day and say, hey, maybe I'll scroll through Instagram today and see if I can find info on the founders of a competitor. You don't have time for that. We'll keep with the theme of the pod. Those tasks are not writing words. That's not pushing you further down the path towards the less crowded waterfall. Let's say the idea you're working on is about sabbaticals. Maybe you've heard a bunch of news lately talking about how companies, like real companies, including Goldman Sachs and Amazon and a bunch of others you've heard of, are beginning to offer sabbaticals to employees either at a certain level or with a certain number of years working for the company. And maybe you saw that a bunch of tech companies were now considering it. And the general idea of six to 10 sequential weeks off to fight burnout is really gaining steam. And maybe you put this together with the great resignation and you're thinking that, yeah, sabbaticals might be a pretty good way to help people reset and help companies retain employees that would have otherwise quit. And also, maybe you're thinking that companies are now virtual and they have a bit more money to play with since they're not paying rent. And maybe this is all actually me thinking these things and I'm projecting it on you. As far as you know, it isn't, but maybe it is. So if I, I mean you, have 10 hours a week to start messing around with this idea, you need to get to that less crowded territory, the place further away from everyone else thinking about this idea fast. The best way to do it is interactions with customers, lots of customers. So that'd be companies that began offering sabbaticals recently, speaking with HR there to understand how that decision came about, whether they built an internal program or they outsourced it what the goals were. 
Is it meant to decrease turnover or is it meant as a perk to help with hiring? What's the metric? I'd want to speak with people at the company who qualify. Are they aware? Has it been prioritized? Have they taken advantage of it? Has anyone gone on a sabbatical? Practically, is it something they would do or is it more like unlimited vacation? See, but don't do. I want to talk to companies that offer similar perks and might be candidates to offer sabbaticals in the near future and on and on and on. This seems daunting. It's a lot of people to talk to and it's a lot of stuff to learn. It also seems kind of boring. It's going to be a lot of outreach, but it's like the 3000 words a day. If you do this outreach every day for two months, you'll already be in the top 0.01% of people who understand this problem in the landscape of solutions. You'll be able to parse out customer segments. You might even be close to a beta test of a product, which could be anything from a program smaller companies use to offload sabbatical planning and logistics to you, to a tool for spas and other facilities to get on a program for companies to take advantage of to send their employees to during that sabbatical, or it could be something totally different. The point is the interactions will give you unique context to make that decision. So we have to get there. So often in the startup world, it's the boring stuff that leads to the massively impactful stuff. If I were doing this, again, theoretically, I'd set a daily goal. One interaction with someone in the space per day and 20 minutes of cold outreach per day to set up more interactions. I'd probably start with the Seinfeld method because I love the Seinfeld method. If you don't know it, Jerry Seinfeld realized early on that the best way to write great jokes was just to write a lot of jokes. Some of them would be great. The best way to write a lot of jokes was to write a joke every day. So he put a big calendar on his wall and he crossed out the day once he'd written a joke. Then he'd keep his streak for days, weeks, months, years. Goals that are visual get paid attention to. I'd do the same here. One conversation, 20 minutes of cold outreach equals an X on the calendar for that day. If I didn't have a conversation scheduled or someone canceled, an extra 20 minutes of cold outreach would equal a conversation and I get to put down my X. I'd also create a log. What did I try for outreach that day? Was it a cold LinkedIn message? Was it direct calls to HR, going through an employee, paying for an email list, an Instagram ad for people interested in a sabbatical, then showing that information to their boss to get a call on the books? Whatever it was, I want to know what I did so I can try lots and lots of things and double down on the things that work. I can promise you that 20 minutes a day will get you out of your creative safe space by like day four. If the calendar doesn't keep you accountable, a coffee shop has always worked really well for me too. Go to a coffee shop with only a blank notebook. Get your coffee and sit down. Look at the clock, take out your notebook, and write down all the ways to get in touch with people for 20 minutes straight. Then go home and do them. It'll take maybe two minutes of you staring at a blank page before ideas will just start to pour out of you. The faucet will turn on. We're all very conditioned to lean on our phones in moments like this and removing them just breaks the dam. You'll see. Maybe this will work better for you with an accountability partner. Get someone testing out a similar idea and schedule a 30 minute Zoom every Friday for lunch. Go through what you did to speak with customers and what you learned riff on each other's tactics. Startups and apparently writing are all about a race to getting past what other people know or what other people have done. For startups, this just means trying lots of stuff, which means you need to know two things. First, what matters for the stage you're at. For the early folks, that's speaking with people. Finding them and learning from them are each solid gold. Then, 
optimizing to make sure you do that more than anyone else, that you do it efficiently, that you do it creatively, that you get past the crowd. There's a quote I love by Tallulah Bankhead, an actress from the 40s and 50s, who I won't pretend to know, but I have seen this quote a few times and I love it. It goes, if I had to live my life again, I'd make the same mistakes only sooner. We want to build a system to get you to those mistakes as soon as possible, get you to the insights as soon as possible, get you to that second waterfall as soon as possible. That is how you'll build something meaningful. Also, apparently, you need to get a good night's sleep. This was the idea to start a podcast brought to you by the Tacklebox membership. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test it out, head to gettacklebox.com slash no whisper ideas. That is gettacklebox.com slash the words no whisper ideas to get our pod listener discount on the program. Have a great week.